You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi. This is Mike Barron, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Punisher Episode 2 covering a period of The Punisher from 1986 to 1988. And I am your host, Curtis Findlay. I'm Chris Marshall of the Collective Comics Library, and I'm your Punisher host. And we have a a cool episode for you today. Now, Epic Collection number one hasn't been released yet. So we are starting, it's episode two, but it's the beginning of The Punisher solo ongoing series. Kind of interesting the way the, the Epics do that kind of thing, but here we are. Yeah, I I love this one. This is a this is a great one, uh, Curtis. And there's a lot to get into. And uh, where would you like to start today? Well, why don't you why don't you tell our listeners what are the issues that we're going to be talking about today? Sure. So today it starts out with the Punisher miniseries or limited series from 1986, and then we'll go into the Punisher ongoing, which uh, from 1987 uh, issues one through ten. And then Daredevil 257 is also in this, and we'll kind of get good over that and how it relates to Punisher number 10. And then the Marvel graphic novel, it's actually Marvel graphic novel number 40, if you're keeping count, Punisher Assassin's Guild. And is this the first Punisher graphic novel, or were there ones before this? Uh, This is the first one. Nice. Okay. Wow. And and tell me, what are your thoughts on this Epic Collection, just in general, the, the quality of it? Because it's printed by LCS Communications, which is kind of the, the this is the, the standard company that, that the people who buy the Epic Collections really like the, these printers to print mm-hmm. the books. However, I find that they've cheapened up a little bit on their paper. Not to the quality of what, you know, everybody complains about quad graphics and how bad those books are. This one's definitely flimsier. And I have a touch of typhoid uh, sitting side by side with Circle of Blood right now because of Mm -hmm. the Daredevil crossover. It's also printed by LCS Communications. And you can feel the difference in the thickness of the cover. Um, The Punisher is definitely thinner. And then the paper is also definitely thinner and has a more of a a sheen to it. I wouldn't call it glossy, but it's definitely not as matte as the paper they used to use. Did you notice that? I haven't noticed that. Um, You think that's something that Marvel has just switched to? I think so. Do you find that there are other epic collections that are the... They're they're still coming out two different ways. Uh, They're not coming out different ways. The ones that are published by LCS Communications, now it seems that the standard is this paper. Um, Got it. It's thinner. I'm sure it saves them, saves Marvel money and keeps the price point the same. Uh, And I don't know if that's because of rising paper costs or rising shipping costs, but uh, that's just what, that's just the fact of life right now. (laughs) 
Okay, Chris, what are the things that we need to know before going into this episode? Okay, well, there's really not a whole lot. For anybody that uh, has been reading The Punisher or knows a lot about this character, uh, you know he kind of started out in mostly Amazing Spider-Man is where his appearances were. He showed up in a couple of Daredevil issues, uh, Captain America. He had a couple of solo adventures uh, in the black and white Marvel magazines. But right now, I mean, the, the first thing we see in a um, on, on the blurb uh, on our first page here in Punisher number one is Captivity Day number 43. Now, that's important because he went to jail at the end of Spectacular Spider-Man number 83. That comic, in our real time, was released in October of 1983. Uh, so in the comic book world, uh, it is day 43 since that happened. It is in our real time 27 months later. So okay. again, Marvel Marvel moves very slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the only note I had as well. Yeah. Punisher was arrested in Daredevil in the Daredevil storyline. And then he broke out of jail in yep. Spectacular number Spectacular Spider-Man number 81 and then he was arrested again in Spectacular Spider-Man number 83. And there is a reference in the the first issue of the Punisher miniseries that references how Punisher kind of went a little nuts when he was in jail last time. Yeah, so they kind of, you know, that was like a retcon, right? I mean, yeah. this may be one of our first retcons where, you know, why did Frank go crazy? And it's because he was drugged. And I think he might have been, they didn't say really how, but I, you know, it was done by the cook uh, in prison who, so he happened to be out of prison at that time too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if he's a cook, I'm guessing it was some kind of food poisoning. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's like they don't have to say that. No. But I guess they wanted to explain his erratic behavior in that storyline, which um, if you're listening to this in the future, we might have talked about in the previous episode <laughs> once that one's recorded. <laughs> um, but we haven't talked about that yet. But uh, yeah, that's the only thing that I think we really need to know. Just before we go into the issues, I want to talk about a little Twitter poll that I uh, posted a little while back. The question I asked is in the Punisher Epic Collection Volume 2. It includes the Punisher miniseries by Stephen Grant and the first 10 issues of the Punisher ongoing series by Mike Barron. Which do you like better, the Punisher mini by Grant or the Punisher ongoing by Barron? And 67% of the votes went to the Punisher miniseries by Grant. Where do you, where does your vote lie? It's partly, you know, I could I could go either way. We're I, we're kind of getting get into this and what issues I like and what issues I don't like. Um, but I can tell you that uh, it's hard to beat the Steve Grant Mike Zek. But you know, honestly, if if anybody could beat uh, those two guys, it definitely would be uh, you know Mike Barron and Klaus Janssen. <laughs> yeah. So so the Klaus Janssen art, it's just top notch. Yeah, I'm Love going it. to agree with that. Um, now, this was the first time that I had read. No, it's not the first time that I'd read Circle of Blood. I think I'd read maybe maybe it wasn't even all of Circle of Blood many, many years ago um, as a kid. Yeah. But rereading it now, I was actually a little disappointed with things, which I'll get into when we talk about the issues. I definitely like the 10 Mike Barron issues 
the best. Yeah. And I probably should have thrown in the graphic novel Assassin's Guild, which was fantastic as well. Yes, the art in that. Um, I will say, you know, along these same lines with with the Punisher miniseries here, I think the first two issues are the best, and then it kind of tails off. Right. Yeah, I will yeah. agree with that. And there are specific okay. reasons that um, I, I will yeah. go into <laughs> when we get there, for sure. Okay. But first, some pe- some other people want to talk about this, too. And I asked yeah. on Facebook for some comments. JC always pu- put some really great comments together. He says, I really enjoyed this volume. I bought the limited series off the shelves back when they were released. I wasn't a regular Spider-Man reader back in the 80s, so my Punisher knowledge was limited to what I had read about him in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, but who could resist any book with those Zek Zimmelman covers? Hmm. Yeah. Um, The limited series held up for me after having not read it for 30-plus years. Mike Zek wasn't ever one of my favorite artists, but he rarely disappoints me. This was my first exposure to the ongoing series and the graphic novel. I liked them both. I particularly like that the stories were varied. We didn't get issue after issue of Punisher versus various mobs responsible for the deaths of his families. His adventures in in the ongoing series were varied. Kudos to writer Baron for keeping those things interesting. Um, it was a bit odd that Baron decided to use the last name Friar for two completely different and unrelated guest characters in consecutive stories, hmm. uh, which I didn't notice. Um, I didn't notice that either. Yeah. He also has different characters using the term negatory, which seemed odd. Maybe it's a word Baron himself uses often. And I paid attention to that, and I only read negatory once. I didn't actually didn't notice that. So JC is paying closer attention to these things than, than I am. Huh. Okay. And then one uh, he also says, something else I noticed was that there seemed to be a lot of backstory in place for a character who was part-time villain guest star for a few years before his limited series came out. I didn't mind it. It just made me wonder if readers actually got to read all of Frank's journey to that point or if it was just in exposition. And uh, he says an example would be the introduction of Microchip in issue four of the ongoing series. We meet him, and it's established that he's always been Punisher's tech guy, but is it's actually his first appearance in the comics, and to my knowledge, he hadn't ever been mentioned before. That's true, and I guess yes. we can get into that more in issue four. Uh, in fact, let's, yeah, let's make a note of that and address it when we get to issue four. Okay. He concludes with, Finally, my favorite part of this collection was the graphic novel. Like most of the graphic novels of the 80s, um, extra time seemed to be spent on the art and coloring, and the story was great too, and it could have easily been the source material for a Punisher movie. All in all, one of my favorite epic collections to date. Wow, that's that's big. That is that's big. You. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, JC, for your comments. Always appreciate them. And uh, just so you know, JC is going to be joining me for a couple of Miss Marvel episodes, which I'll release uh, to try and tie them into the uh, when the movie comes out, the Captain Marvel movie. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah, that'll be good. Okay, Chris, here we go. This is the moment you've been waiting for. Let's talk mm. about these issues. Sure. We're going to start with issue number one of the miniseries. Why don't you uh, give us a brief recap? So Frank is uh, in prison. Uh, he, like you said, he's been there for about forty-three days, uh, and it just so happens that um, you quickly find out the warden and his his crony uh, buddy of his are, uh, you know, 
there's something up with these guys and they are corrupt. You know, no surprise. We've seen corrupt wardens in Shawshank Redemption and other uh, prison movies along the line. So this is nothing new. It's straight uh, out of the playbook here. But it turns out that Frank kind of has a run in. Uh, he he's kind of wants to find out, you know, who drugged him, who made him come to prison and everything. And uh, fights ensue. And a long story short is that uh, he meets up with his old buddy Jigsaw. Uh, and it looks like Jigsaw is behind the whole thing of the, the drugging of him and making sure he goes to prison. I think it's kind of funny that Jigsaw and Punisher wind up in the exact same uh, prison. Yeah. Uh, you'd, think, you'd think that with Frank being in jail for 40 days, he would pretty much know that by now. You know, because it looks like Jigsaw has been around for a while in his cell. He's got books. He's got a TV and a stereo, uh, some beer. Looks like he's doing pretty well for himself. Unless he keeps himself uh, purposely on a different in a different cell block or something like that. Yeah, could um, be. He pays a little bit of money so that Punisher stays out of his way. He's, I don't know. Yeah, you know, and that's that's a good point. So you know, it could be. You know, when we see Frank, he's being led down the hallway, and he does get a new roommate. Uh, or cellmate, I should say. Yeah. And you wonder if he is uh, been in solitary confinement for 40 days yeah. or segregated in some some point, and he's been good uh, because he hasn't has anybody to fight with. Uh, so they're going to slowly integrate him back in. Or it could be that the warden knows he's itching for a fight, and he you know he's going to use Frank in some manner, and uh, that's all part of his plot as well. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's many things we can kind of get on uh, around this. So Jigsaw and Frank fight, of course, but there's another mob boss in the prison, uh, Don Cervelio, uh, and he kind of stops the two and says, look, guys, this isn't going to happen. Uh, actually, we, uh, you know, if this keeps up, we're all going to be in lockdown pretty much. Uh, but good news is I'm planning a prison break. Uh, and, and Frank, I would like you to be uh, a part of this prison break. break. Uh, so, of course, Frank is like, I'm all for it, and uh, he's in on it, and, you know, the riot ensues eventually, and he comes up to the warden's office uh, while he's trying to escape, and eventually the wardens kind of shut it all down, and, uh, you know, Jigsaw is there with Don Cervello, uh, and basically another fight ensues, but Frank gets the best of them, and the warden wants to hire Frank. It turns out they're a company, not a company, they're a their their own, I guess it would be mob family called the Trust. So, and their whole deal is that they want to wipe out the the criminals uh, just as much as Frank does, even more so. Uh, so they actually hire Frank, and and Frank gets his old clothes back and his weapons, and is free to go uh, doing work for the Trust. And that's a quick quick synopsis of what we got going on here. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens. This is a double size issue. It um, is. And yeah, it's just, it's packed. And this is a perfect setup. It's like we now have a company that's going to supply Frank with missions yeah. and supply Frank with weapons. I can see this going becoming an ongoing series uh, if it weren't for the fact that um, the trust isn't, doesn't end up being who they think who Frank thinks they are. So, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if this were to be an ongoing series, you could, you could uh, use this premise throughout the whole thing. And, you know, I, I, I kind of went fast on this, but there is in 40 
uh, pages here, there's a lot of fighting scenes. You know, Frank fights his cellmate. He fights Jigsaw. The prison break scene or the prison riot scene is very long. Uh, number of pages there. So, uh, and it's just kind of him going around the prison night, trying not to get caught and everything like that and working his way up to the warden's office. It is a great way to start because it is. if you don't know The Punisher and you're picking this up for the first time, this is his first issue of a solo series. So we are learning all about him. We learn um, we learn his fighting styles. We learn his strategy. He, he can read every villain in this jail cell and know yep. what they're going to do, what they are planning, what the possible outcomes are, and he has all of these counterattacks for everything. It's just, this is a guy who knows what's going on and can, can play every character in the room. It, it's, it's really fantastic the way they spell out exactly what Frank, who Frank is and what, he, what his abilities are. Yeah, and you know, this is, again, right out of the, the, the movie playbook with, uh, with the Netflix series or I want to say like a Steven Seagal type movie, you know, from the b bad 1980s. They know every single move. <laughs> yeah. uh, Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. He, every, he knows every single move that's going to happen before it happens kind of thing. So, yep. But that's uh, that's what we love about Frank. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And so great. There's some fantastic art. Mike Zek art in this issue. It's like the amount of detail that he puts into the scenes in the jail cell with reflections and shadows and, and, and John Beatty's inks are just fantastic. The way he uses the zip tone shading and such is there's yeah. so much attention to detail. Uh, it's really, really uh, some of the best comic art of this era, I think. Yeah. And you know, they, they, and, and Jigsaw has been his nemesis and you get the feeling if you're picking this up, on a monthly basis, you get the feeling that Jigsaw is going to come back somehow. <laughs> yeah. That's not the last that we, we've seen of him. So uh, that's what's pretty cool. Now, Jigsaw had only appeared, and of course, we'll talk about this when we get around to recording episode one, but Jigsaw had only made a small handful of appearances before this, maybe just maybe just twice. Maybe just twice. In, in, I think it was in Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah and one of the, in, yeah. So, so it's interesting that they really play him up as the Punisher advers adversary. But, uh, I mean, I guess he doesn't really have any adversaries other than that. Well, at Frank, the time. Frank did bust his face and he is, uh, he's definitely a villain. You can't forget. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. You watched, uh, Punisher season two. I have, I just finished it uh, a couple of nights ago. Yeah. So did I. And, uh, I really, really like the portrayal of Jigsaw and how he, he wrestles he has this internal um conflict about being good and being bad and what the punisher yeah. did and how his memory loss and how that plays into it um i wish his face was a little bit more scarred up than it, they made it in the in the series but yeah but if they made own. it too I, I agree with that and i know we're on a little tangent but if you made it too crazy it would have been looked like uh the way they did jigsaw and punisher war zone movie <laughs> right. you know that was that was over the top that was yeah, way too over the top so it was a fine line yeah i think the, the scars made it onto his brain and i think that's what they really showed mm, yeah you know, good he, point he, the jigsaw is also on his brain not so much on his face okay well i think we can move over to issue number two can i bring up one quick thing sure so the cover so when this there's a cover misprint it says one in a four issue limited series but we all know it is a five issue series this was a printing error that they never got right and uh it just 
they just kept on, you know, messing it up. But and I love the fact that Marvel, with all of their reprints of, of all the times they do this series, whether it's black and white in the essential, whether it's in the omnibus, whether it's here in the epic collection or graphic novels, uh, trade paperbacks, they keep the misprint. I think that's really, really cool. It's become a legend now. <laughs> it because is, issue right? number two says it's a five issue limited series. Yes. And then issue three and four say it's a four issue limited series. And then there's a number five that says it's a five issue li- limited series. And so a five and a five. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Everybody wonders. So was this originally a four <laughs> issue limited series? And then they just needed to. And the, the other thing is that the fifth issue has a different creative team on it. It does. Yeah. So it's yep. like it was originally supposed to be four issues. They couldn't tie it up or there were deadline c- conflicts. And then they stretch it to five. But then, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what the real answer is. I, yeah, it's funny that they just never got around to fixing it. Yeah, you know, I love it. Maybe been a running gag in the bullpen. Who knows? <laughs> uh, these. Let's talk a little bit more about these covers. Um, I okay. I love this. Some people just don't like these covers at all because of the airbrush, the kind of the cheesy '80s airbrush style. But I love it. I think it's such a good reflection of the time and the type of pop art that was being produced at the time. And uh, and they're very lovingly restored for this collection. Like they look really really sharp. Yeah, the omnibus uh, came out. Uh, circ- uh, what is it? Back to the War omnibus came out uh, just last year. Yeah. So you can you can tell they they use the art from that for for this epic collection. Definitely. Um, and it is. You're right. It's just gorgeous. And these covers are so iconic that they've been copied for very different variants over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, with other characters and, and everything like that. And in fact, um, uh, just recently uh, with the new Punisher number one that is out in store that just came out of, you know, I think they're on issue, what, seven right now. Uh, right. They redid a ton of variant covers, including updates uh, in in the way he's standing and his poses. The I poses, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like this is uh, nowadays you get covers that look kind of like this all the time because you can get this airbrush digital effect through Photoshop and such. Yep. Like, I can't imagine the amount of work it took to actually airbrush all of this oh. stuff. <laughs> it's like for a, for a comic book cover that's being sold for seventy five cents. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. By the way, I should mention. I I know um, it was mentioned in the in the email that. Uh, he picked them up. The the gentleman picked them up uh, on the shelves. I picked this up at uh, the. I picked this series up in 1987 when Punisher issue number one came out, the ongoing series. I was at a local comic books uh, convention in Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, it was pre Motor City Con for us old folks, uh, and I was there with my dad. I was 16 years old, and I'm like, oh, this new Punisher came out, Dad. I got to get it. And the guy, so I picked up Punisher number one, and the guy said, by the way, I've got the five-issue series as well. I'll sell you all six comics for 40 bucks. And my dad, he was like, what? He's like, that is way too much money, <laughs> you know, for six comics. And then, and then the guy next to me had a stack of Punisher number ones, like 20 of them, and he was buying all of them. It was just hilarious. And my, wow. dad, and, you know, my dad bought them for me, you know, hats off to my old man. So he got me, uh, he got them for me. And I still have them to this day. You still have them to this day. Absolutely. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And that sets you off as a lifelong Punisher fan. It did. Yes. Amazing. 
I love how that works. Okay, back to this issue here. Yes, um, number two. Yeah, so the first thing Frank tries to do after getting out of jail is kill the kingpin. Uh, and he ends up doing <laughs> it, he thinks. Uh, it's like, you know, I want to take out crime. I might as well go straight for the top. He kills someone he thinks is kingpin, but he fails. It's not the right guy. But that set, that, that um, draws some attention, so he retreats. And then later on in the issue, there's a group of mob bosses get together to try and... Uh, talk about what the what their plan of action is and frank tries to kill them all as well but that also doesn't work out this is a an issue full of uh failures for the punisher and uh to top it off all of his stuff is blown up <laughs> so yeah that's uh <laughs> that's kind of where we are here um which is I, I i think it's a typical play it's like let's set punisher up to see how unstoppable he is but then let's in the next issue break him down and take away all of his stuff and see how he works in, uh, then as well. How does he deal with failure? Because we just we know how he deals with success. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's kind of a nice way to keep the, the character development happening. Yeah, and it's interesting that this gang war uh, that he kind of sets off with the mob bosses, it kind of plays into uh, Amazing Spider-Man uh, and what happens after issue five. So... There's some interesting things that goes on with Frank uh, between issue five of this limited series and the Punisher ongoing number one that I'll cover um, when when we kind of get to it okay. um, in a few minutes. But, you know, just keep that gang war in the back of your, your head there. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I like how he tries to orchestrate all these, the, the whole gang war and stuff. Um, there's yep. one question I have is uh, mm-hmm. there's a subplot where there's this son of a crime boss that has been killed. I knew you were going to bring this up, and I don't have an answer. You don't have an answer? What, what's <laughs> Not my, really. What's my you, question? Yeah. Your question is, where did did Frank kill his father? And why is this kid um, uh, going after revenge? Okay, that's part of my question, yes. Okay, what's your question? Uh, my other, my, uh, the other part of the question is, how does he have the, in, the intel to even find Frank? Like, he's hanging out outside this apartment, but... How does he even know that Frank's there because he's under an alias? There's just so many questions with this plot, with this secondary plot that just doesn't make sense. It's so strange. Yeah, that's a good point. Unless he's got, he's been having tabs on Frank and he knows he's in jail and he knows that maybe now he might be out of jail from a connection on the inside. I don't know. <laughs> they, that's they don't that's a really good question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, there's there's just a whole bunch of weird things. That that storyline ends up not coming to a satisfactory conclusion at the end of this miniseries either. So the other thing I want to mention is that uh, the art starts strong in this issue and then takes a nosedive. Yeah. <laughs> and then the nosedive sticks around for the rest of this miniseries. Uh, the first 10 pages are up to the same incredible quality uh, as the first issue, but then we get to page 57 in this book, I think it is, and then all of a sudden uh, things just start going downhill. And it's the it's the scene on the subway at, that starts at page 63 that's really noticeable. The backgrounds are yes. just not, a, a lot of them are non-existent or they're not rendered, like the, the same level of depth in the shadows and the the uh, the blacks is not there. And uh, and then it just gets worse and worse as we go along, and I'll point it out again. Um, but interesting to note, 
the in the back uh the bonus features in this epic collection is all of the original Mike Zek art for yeah. the first issue and the first 10 pages of this issue all of the good pages once uh <laughs> once the pages are bad they don't include any of those in the back here and i wonder if Mike Zek himself thought that you know the the photo stats that he made of of his original pencils were not yeah. worth keeping cuz he I think he basically goes down to, uh, you know, it's it's very loose pencils for these issues. And then later on, f especially issue number four of this miniseries, I think it's just breakdowns. And, uh, and, and yeah, it shows that uh, either he couldn't keep up with the pace being so incredibly detailed mm. or he had such a, a a long lead time for the first issue that he could spend as much time as he wanted on it. Because it really starts out quite spectacularly, and then, unfortunately, <laughs> doesn't doesn't go anywhere. Well, or you—that's a great observation. Or it was originally supposed to be four issues, and he had to to you know rush and get it out and make five issues out of it. So, yeah, but he doesn't yeah. do the fifth issue. No, he—that's right. He doesn't do the fifth issue. You're right. I wonder if maybe the first issue was supposed to be two issues. Because you have mm -hmm. enough content, if you put in the first ten pages of issue two, that's you have fifty pages of really really solid stuff. I wonder if that was supposed to be like the first two issues of the book. The first one, they were all slightly larger but not double size, and so he had those first two issues. But then they switched up things. I didn't get a chance to um, interview Carl Potts. He's up for okay. an interview. We just didn't get our schedules together, unfortunately. So I'm going to interview him eventually, and this miniseries will be definitely on my list of of uh, questions. I'm just surrounding um, the artwork and surrounding the the numbering and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's it's also you know you bring up a good point on number on page fifty six. You could also end the issue there. That yeah. is a great breakoff point. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what uh, what they're thinking there, but that's just my observations. I don't have anything more to say about this one unless you want to say anything. Nope. Hey, I'm good. Well, why don't you take us through issue number three then? So on number three, we have a guy who is who is this guy? Um, Santiago. Santiago. He's he's a mob boss. Yeah. And uh, he's is he. He just has information. I, yeah. I took it. He's a mob boss for a small-time mob, not a big-time mob. Yeah. So Frank uh, kind of hijacks the limousine that he gets into and uh, takes him for a ride. And uh, another, a couple of guys go after him. Who's going after him in this one? It doesn't really matter. It's just it one of the yeah, other Yeah, it mobs. doesn't really matter. Yeah. Anyway, um, he gets his information and goes back to uh, the girl, Angela, who we should have mentioned in... Uh, in the end of uh, number two, uh, she kind of saves his life after um, Frank falls from uh, getting kind of kind of blown up from the Kingpin's uh, penthouse there. And we kind of realize that she is working with the trust as well. So what, what's really kind of interesting about this, uh, you know, Frank's getting information. But what, what I wanted to kind of get to and you, we can kind of backtrack if you want. But is this Punisher Goon Squad? how all these guys are dressed up in, in Punisher outfits. And these are the guys who have been going around killing other mob bosses and wreaking havoc in the city. 
and they actually uh, are kind of they're kind of working for the trust, but they're kind of not. They're kind of. Did you get that? I, I I still can't figure that out. Who their who their true boss is here? Well, it turns out later on in the miniseries that they are brainwashed by the trust. Yeah, so by the trust. They okay. are they are working for the trust, and I feel like the trust. They don't outwardly express this, but they are trying to take out all the mob bosses and use the Punisher as the fall guy. Correct. Yes. Yep. Which is funny because a lot of these guys look nothing like Frank, you know. <laughs> yeah. Blonde hair. Yep. But at know, this just point, their, their build. Yeah. At this point, Punisher is a mystery. No one really knows the general public. All they would see is the skull and be like, "That's the Punisher." That's true. Um, they, it That's doesn't true. really matter what the rest of him looks like. Even though you know he's been in the in the newspapers with his trial and everything like that, but you're right. People may have forgotten about him or change his look or something like that. Right. They, they're going to remember the skull, maybe not yeah. his face kind of thing. You know, he doesn't wear a mask. Yeah. So one of the few characters in all of Marvel Universe that doesn't wear a mask. I love the so. scene in, on page 74 where there's a the car with the rival mob is coming straight at Punisher. He's going to gun him down. Punisher jumps into this empty man, oh, this open manhole. And as the car's <laughs> driving over the manhole, he shoots at the gas tank and blows up the car. It's like, holy cow, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> what a great move. Yeah, and, and there, are, there no gasoline or explosion goes down the manhole no. into his face or anything like that. <laughs> it's, it's so great. It's like, yeah. this. the 80s is the era of action movies. Like, this is when... You know, things like Terminator and what are the other big action movies of the 80s? Like the, all like the Jean-Claude Van Damme and oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, yeah. and yep. like this is this is this is so perfect. This is how I think this is why Punisher is so successful in this time, even though he started in the 70s. Yeah, he really made a big splash when these big action movies were were Die really, really popular. Die Hard. Yeah, yeah of course. Yep. Yep. Frank tracks down in this in this issue the guy who he thinks is behind the trust. Yes. And then this guy, it, it turns out that he, he's not the top brass. He tries to get away and starts to shoot at Punisher, but then he accidentally kills um, a, a child who is a, a bystander. And um, I really like the fact that um, the Punisher is not going to kill coriander anymore after this because uh, yeah. he i think he feels like his guilt is going to take over him or something but that that i feel like that goes against what punisher usually would do it's like no you killed a child i'm definitely going to gun you down now yeah exactly yeah and that's that's pretty heavy for a comic book to have a dead child in it yeah so you know that's you know the we're on uh new ground here as far as marvel goes with with uh, this stuff, so yeah, the whole thing is just quite violent. There's a mm-hmm. a, a much much heavier um, emphasis on the violence and realistic violence than you would see in a typical Marvel comic of this era. Well, and that's why a lot of people, even to this day, don't like Punisher comic books. Yeah, because he's too violent. And even looking at the Max stuff that came out, you know, ten years ago with, with Garth Ennis, that was so violent and so yeah. vile. In in you know that I even had trouble reading it as an adult man. You know, I just, it was just yeah. tough, but, um, yeah. And that's why I've stayed away from Punisher for a, a, quite a while. I, yeah. I, I will always remember the, um, there's a story where Punisher is torturing a guy by pulling out all of his teeth and the yeah. camera is 
from the point of view of inside the guy's mouth and you just see the gums getting more and more mangled <laughs> with each panel. Yeah, like, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, and speaking on this subject, the, the Netflix Marvel series have been kind of way more violent than necessary at times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Punisher season two was just absolutely brutal. Uh, just like Punisher close range shooting people in the face and like the splatters that you see and the sounds and oh, stuff yeah. like it was just way more violent than any of the other Netflix shows. <laughs> and and yeah. some of those shows well, are very violent. The gym scene was just so brutal. Yeah. You know, when he was yeah. in the weight room and everything and he's just, oh, my God. He yeah. Just beat the hell out of that guy. Yep. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it just, it, it follows suit with uh, with the comics, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and uh, speaking of violence, uh, Frank is shot by uh, Angela and is left for dead at the final panel here. So, yeah. he is down for the count. And another reason why people think that it should be a four-issue limited series, the next chapter is called The Final Solution. Right. And then part five <laughs> is called The Final Solution, part two. So, part two. Yeah. okay um okay so this is issue number four four in a four series yep (laughs) punisher searches for the guy who's actually behind the trust his name is alaric or alaric how do you pronounce that i I, alaric yeah i think it's alaric and he leads him to it leads frank to this punisher training facility and where this is where we find out that all of the punishers have been uh um, influenced and uh, beaten kind of through electricity th- into submission and into uh, mind control somehow. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but it does. Oh, by uh, they gas them. They gas them, yeah. There's gas yeah. and there's electricity. Yeah. And it's it's kind of a weird little death trap, but Punisher gets caught in that. <laughs> but So here's where the artwork really, really, really takes a nosedive. I want you to turn to page 111. Okay. This is the scene where Alaric is uh, has his dog. He's kind of sicking his dog um, on this guy with a with the uh, cowboy hat. I can't remember what that guy's name is. Or I think, I think they just call him cowboy, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but just look at that second panel with Alaric and the dog. That dog looks terrible. It does. It does. Yeah. And Alaric has just basic outline of of him and just some a few lines to indicate some folds in the clothes but just yeah. the, the pose and the fact that there's like random negative space down in the bottom corner and yeah like, the, it looks like the dog's floating on the air. dog is floating in the air because he can't see alaric's feet yes it's like what is this you compare yeah. with the absolutely beautiful artwork from the first issue it's like this is the same guy it's also yeah. the same inker so strange yeah and just you know cowboy when he's running he's got a total blue suit on and half a foot and then alaric in the in the bottom corner there has got no feet he's just got a lines for feet it's very yeah. very awful that was the other panel i was going to point out it's yeah. such a just a, a a very very quick rough drawing it's like a, br- a breakdown there's it's yeah. not fully rendered at all it's like this what happened <laughs> well i'd rather have him have no and i know feet you know, it's tough. And I think Rob Liefeld, he always jokes that he can't draw feet, but it, you know, Angela, you can't see her feet, but his feet you can see. And I wish I didn't even see him. So, yeah, right. <laughs> oh boy. So this is also the issue where we find out that Jigsaw 
has been brainwashed. Jigsaw's back. Yep. Yeah, he comes back and he's now wearing the Punisher outfit and he's trying to kill the Punisher. Uh yeah. Um this is where I think the whole miniseries it started out pretty strong. I was really interested and then kind of just jumps the shark here. So this is quite common for Jigsaw to wear a Punisher skull. It's we've seen it in a number of other issues and in fact uh in the more recent era of Punisher comics, I think right after Dark Reign he was wearing, you know, opposite colors. So it was a white suit with a black skull that Jigsaw was wearing. So it's that has pretty much been a mainstay for this character, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think. So in issue uh, three and issue, it seems like every issue in this series, except for issue one, Frank has been left for dead at the <laughs> end of the, you know. So it's 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 just kind of funny how that happens. So you know. That is funny. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> yeah, just Frank is in bad shape after every single one. But uh, issue five. So here we go. The five and a five. This might be my favorite cover with him with this machine gun just going nuts in this be- beautiful red pinkish background of the smoke rising mm-hmm. all around him. I just I just love this cover. Uh, but here we are. The final solution. Part two. So Frank is uh, he's getting the the. the greatest scene here is him getting out of this uh little prison cell where he's being brainwashed and uh gas is coming in he takes his glove off and he puts it over his mouth and then somehow he can see through this i'm sure the gas would have killed his eyes but anyway he finds a vent and then he takes his shirt off and he plugs the the vent with his shirt uh building up pressure you know, and his Kevlar shirt that he just happens to take off. And then he uh, he blows a hole with his gun that he still has at at it. And it blows a hole through the wall. And that's how he gets out, which is great. It's a pretty brilliant so, move. Yeah. Letting the gas uh, ignite into a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he comes out. He confronts the punishment squad and uh, and Jigsaw. They've got a big fight. uh he basically puts him down. Uh, he doesn't kill him because, you know, he's too good of a, a villain to, for him to keep. And then he lets uh, he lets the punishment uh, squad get out of there uh, so they can just save their lives and get back to what they're doing. And he goes after Arlek and the trust, and he kind of gets his wish going after You know, he the dog comes after Frank. And uh, boy, Frank just gives him one with the with the uh, Uzi in his hand. He just yep. nails him. Um, but you're right; the art here is is not that much better. Uh, a lot of this green background we've seen, though, you know, we we see it in this house. We saw it in the subway. It's it's kind of everywhere. Frank uh, he kind of leaves Ehrlich for dead uh, because the other mob bosses are going to come get him. So that's pretty much the fallout right there. So. He's going to call up Ben, ben Ulrich and, uh, and uh, give the truth to uh, the Daily Bugle to what's going on. And then Frank steals his dog. <laughs> yeah, he does. Um, yeah, there, so there are a few things here. Um, you, you mentioned that he kind of leaves Alaric for dead, or uh, Alaric for the, for the other mob bosses. But yeah. Tony also is uh, set to yes. kill Frank. And then... Well, there's three, there's three endings, right? There, yeah. there are. There are three endings, yeah. So take it away. So yeah, there's the there's the Alaric ending, and I love yeah I love the fake out where he thinks he's gonna get shot and then Frank's just like bang and then just walks yep. away, and then yeah there's the Tony ending, 
which um oh sorry about the alaric ending he's just slaughtered all of these people yeah but he doesn't want to slaughter the guy that's in charge of all of these people he slaughtered yeah. all of the guys that were brainwashed <laughs> they didn't even know that they were doing what they were doing and frank lets the guy that is in charge of this survive that's like i don't understand that yeah yeah that's kind of strange and then then he treats tony um the way i think he should tony is an innocent in all of this and he hasn't done anything yet and frank talks him out of it so the tony subplot was it necessary you think it was not necessary whatsoever okay. yeah, yeah that's you, what I you take it out and it doesn't make a difference to the the overall story yeah not even sure why it was there uh, and then there's the third ending with, uh, what's this girl's name again? Angela. Angela. Angela yeah. comes by uh, to thinking that he, she's going to see Alaric, but then, you know, Frank's walking out. Um, and then she tries to run him over with her car, and it doesn't go well. She careens to the side and is almost about to fall off of a off of a bridge into the water, and Frank just walks away. <laughs> He's like, yep. let her help herself. <laughs> yep. And then the miniseries just ends there. It's so, it's such a, this issue was like a, it was action, wall-to-wall action the entire time, and then it just stops, and there's no room for us to, like, debrief or anything? Yeah, yeah. You you know, Frank just kind of, he's free to walk away and get on with uh, whatever he's going to get on with. So, yeah, it's kind of like, and, and, you know, if, if I'm a fan, I'm like, well, where where are we going to see Frank again? You know, is he going to yeah. come back? You know, what's what's going on here? What's interesting about Angela is she survives and she comes back in Punisher number seventy five. Okay, uh, with a new reformed trust, so uh, or part of it, and we kind of covered that in the last uh, show because seventy five was in that one. Um, oh, and with the police officers, with the police officers, yeah. I didn't yeah. even realize I didn't clue in that that's the same. That was the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So um, Angela's in on that, and I think she has a larger role after that, and I think she finally gets her demise. Hmm. But yeah, this is uh, this was a good series. I'm, I'm, you know, it's one of those that everybody has to read and punish your series and everything like that. So this is this is good stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it started off really, really strong, and it got weaker as it went along, and I wasn't quite satisfied with the ending, but I'm glad that I read it because it, uh, it's still kind of an important piece for the Punisher. It is. It is. Yep. So uh, let's just move in right to uh, the number, the next uh, series here. But I, I kind of teased about the, the mob uh, gang war that was that Frank kind of started. And that gang war, there's another gang war that starts up over Kingpin being gone. And that takes place in the issues of Amazing Spider-Man uh, 284 through 288. And that Go figure is a series, a limited storyline, five issue storyline called Gang War, and that is where Frank shows up next. It actually, uh, he's got a cameo in Amazing Spider-Man number two eighty four, and then he is featured in two eighty five and two eighty eight and uh, two eighty five on the cover. This is from January nineteen eighty seven, so just a few short months after this miniseries ended. And uh, just uh, a few short months, uh, this will end in, in May, 
of, of 1987 and Punisher number one comes out in July of 1987. So okay. we really didn't have to wait lo- long for Frank to, to show up. But what's kind of interesting here is this is uh, when Spider-Man was in his black costume and when they meet up, uh, Frank doesn't seem to miss a beat uh, that, you know, who is this guy in the black costume? I think he must have read up on, on what Peter had been doing. Um, and then, but unbeknownst to Peter, uh, he is very surprised to see Frank out of jail <laughs> because the last time he saw him, he was in the courtroom and Frank was being let off to jail. So, yeah, right. so Frank has probably remained pretty quiet. And uh, here he is on the top of a rooftop, uh, just ready to blow things up. And uh, Spidey comes along and says, Oh my God, what the hell are you doing out of prison? And the gang war ensues. But Frank, he just plays a background role. He's not really in it a whole lot. It is much more of a, uh, a Spider-Man, uh, you know, centric story with the mob bosses there, right? Than uh, than than uh, Frank getting in too involved. It's almost, it, it's definitely a tease of things to come that Frank is still lurking in the shadows. And sure enough, uh, in July of 1987, uh, Mike Barron and Klaus Janson come along with their number one, and it says right on the top, number uh, first issue of an unlimited series. <laughs> uh, so we are yep. happy to have them back. I think that's poking fun at the misnumbering of the miniseries. I think it is, yeah, too. I love it. Yes. And yes. I love this cover of Frank on the uh, escape ladder with a bazooka <laughs> going this to is a great take out cover. these guys. Yeah. Man, it's just, I love how over the top yet completely serious the Punisher is. Yeah. It's such an interesting mix. This cover is very reminiscent of, um, what is it, issue issue three? Oh, where he's um... issue four when he's of oh, the uh, limited series when he's looking in the window and he's on a, with a rope. Oh no, as well, with so the arms very, dealers, I guess. very similar. You yeah, know? it's great. It's great. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So issue number one is called Marching Powder, and in this one, an old friend tells Frank about an incoming shipment of cocaine from Bolivia. And they contacted his friend because they want him to kind of be a like a runner, I guess. Yeah, and infiltrate the, yeah. And then Frank finds out that that friend is, is killed like a couple days later and assumes the spot and goes undercover. It goes undercover to try and bring down the whole operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, this is a, a really, really solid start to the series. It's a great story, and we already find out... Um, Again, it's a it's a chance for us to find out what the Punisher is made of because he takes out at the very beginning this whole group of uh, of of criminals with with the bazooka. <laughs> Actually, it's not a bazooka; <laughs> it's a missile launcher. So yeah, it's a missile launcher. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then goes in and takes everybody out, and we find out that not only is he great in action, but he's also really actually fantastic with uh, with undercover work and subterfuge, and like it's he's really really good. Yeah, he's almost had those. Those Punisher, he almost is like a Batman detective skills set. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's a crossbreed of a lot of characters. It's um, like Batman if Batman used guns. Exactly. Yeah. Which, which, yeah, you know, and I, we can get into Moon Knight too, but I don't want to go there. But. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but um, but what's what's interesting here is uh, anybody watching the Punisher Netflix show knows that his Vietnam buddy is named Curtis Hoyle, and this is where. We meet Curtis in the comics. He is completely different. Yeah, he's a, he's a 180 of what we see on the Netflix show. I love Curtis in the show. I love. He's one of my favorite characters. I'm yeah. so glad he's you know still around. 
he's great, but he is always doing uh, things for the betterment of his brothers where this Curtis Hoyle uh, is doing for the betterment of himself. Yeah. And just, you know, he's not a good guy. So, so they're using him in name only, which is name and Vietnam buddy only really or war buddy, I should say. So they actually reference Vietnam uh, in this Mm -hmm. issue uh, because Vietnam wasn't that long ago. Nowadays, I think the Punisher, he is a war vet, but they never really say what war he fought in. Right, yeah. Because now, because of the sliding time scale of, uh, of Marvel Comics or of superheroes in general, it's like, yeah, you can't have a guy nowadays who fought in the Vietnam War because they would be really old. Yeah, the only guy who's still old is Captain America, right? He's, he's fought World War II. That'll never change. Yeah, so. and because the amount of time that he was trapped in ice can be any amount of time, so that doesn't matter. But yeah. for Punisher, that hasn't happened. He actually um, has lived since his war days, and so, yep. yeah, they can't uh, they can't directly say what war he fought in anymore. I like this issue a lot. Um, there, I like Mike Barron's writing. In fact, you know what? I got to interview Mike Barron, and I didn't say this at the beginning of the episode, but oh, I'm going cool. to sprinkle a few clips of his interview uh, throughout these next 10 issues, and we'll start with kind of how he came to write the title. Oh, very cool. That'll be very interesting. Carl Potts was the editor at the time. He was in charge of The Punisher, and he called me up and asked me if I would write it uh, because he liked what I've been doing in Badger. What kind of background do you have coming from this sort of crime background? Did you uh, do a lot of writing about this kind of work before, or did you grow up reading a lot of this kind of material? Well, I grew up reading a lot of crime novels and true crime books because I like that sort of thing. Uh, But when I started to write The Punisher, it just required a lot of research. Uh, My approach was to do it as a straight crime story with no, no super heroics, Uh, and fantastic outer space vehicles Mm -hmm. that lasted for about three years. And then Carl was kicked upstairs and I had a new editor and he wanted it to be more integrated with the Marvel universe. So that's when we started bringing in the super powered villains and so forth. I also kind of want to tell our audience that these first 10 issues really are one in two part uh, comics. So Punisher number three is the only one that's a standalone issue but everything else is works as a two-parter episode, which makes for uh, a lot of story. And then, but it doesn't drag on. It's, yeah. I, I, I really wish comics today would do something like that. It seems like everything today is written for the trade paperback, five issues, six issues. Uh, you know, it's it's odd that we'll get an occasional one shot, but having a two-parter like this, one comic, in, you know, it, it's just it's great. You get a lot of story and. Uh, you know, you're, you're done. Then you can kind of move on to the next one. So I really like this format. Yeah. Yeah. So this one ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Punisher contacts the, the man in charge of the whole operation and says, come to Bolivia. So Punisher's on his way to v- Bolivia. And the guy who's going to take him there is his old buddy, Curtis Hoyle. Yeah. I also, it's interesting at the end of most of these issues, it says when the on sale date is for the next issue. The, at the end of this one says issue number two on sale by May 19th. I don't understand why they need to be so specific about it because they don't in like any other comic that I've read. Yeah, I'm not sure why that's like that either. Or maybe it's just yeah. a sales pitch that, hey, look, you know, 
go to your store, you know, because they didn't have the internet back then. Yeah. Do you know, <laughs> so, was was Punisher direct market, a direct market book, or was it in on newsstands as well? I think it was, I think it was both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, so. it might have been. Um, yeah. Because the I on- went to my comic book shop, so. Yeah, exactly. But I think yeah. the, the on sale dates might might have been different if it were on if it were direct market. But I'm not sure. I don't remember. Well, I'd have to go look up because, you know, the, the comic book store dates have changed over the years. At one point growing up I think it was on a Tuesday. Now we know it's on a Wednesday. Yeah. And I, I think um you know, it's been Wednesday for a number of years now. Uh and I think it when it shipped twice uh, at some point, it was like a Tuesday and a Friday. Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Okay. Issue number two. Yeah. So uh, Frank is in Bolivia, and he um, he wants to join the drug operation. Uh, oil brings him down there. Uh, you know, he's back in Vietnam, which, you know, he didn't kind of expect. So I'm surprised we didn't see any, like, a flashback or anything with Frank in these episodes. Um, you know, he's, he's can. It's almost like he's right at home in a way kind of thing. I love how he uh, he steals a, a helicopter. He gets, he, you know, he gets almost taken out um, or he's, you know, he's infiltrating the, the drug gang and uh, he sees the helicopter and he just kind of takes it off and he goes after Hoyle, who's in it. And they fight in the helicopter while it's going down and uh, he stabs him in the uh, the hand, which is really brutal with the uh with the shrapnel on the glass uh, in the helicopter. I thought that was pretty brutal. No blood, but uh, you know it's got to hurt when you see the glass protruding through the hand. And uh, Hoyle falls through his death. Frank takes the helicopter um, and he slams it into the the drug operation, uh, into the the drug camp, and he kind of blows it all to hell, which is uh, great to see. And he jumps from a plane... He did and with no parachute and lands and has no repercussions whatsoever. Yeah, he um, branches and loam help break the fall, but my legs feel like lead. Got to make them hold up a while longer. Yeah. So he is hurt, um, but, but man, I don't know how he walks he just, a couple he miles. He just back shakes it camp. off. Oh man, he shakes it off. Yeah. yeah, he's like you know. Yeah, the big reveal in this one is that the uh, the guy behind the whole drug operation in Bolivia is a former general of his. Yes. And yep. so I thought that was cool to give us a little bit more of Punisher's backstory and to, mm-hmm. to kind of tie it into things. Yeah, this was a good idea, uh, a good issue. I really like the whole um, the thing where uh, they, in order to gain his trust, Punisher has to kill a, an informant that they happen to find. Um, and then Punisher quickly has to make quick work of everyone in the room. <laughs> now, I've got something for you. At the end of this issue, we've got a creative support bios for Mike Barron and Klaus Jansen. What really struck me, and maybe we can bring this up later on when we get to uh, the uh, the Daredevil episode. But at the end of Klaus Jansen, we said, um, I think Mike Barron wrote this. Maybe Carl Potts wrote it. Uh, he says, I'm very happy to have Klaus on our, as our regular one man at Army on this title. Be sure to watch a for a reunion between Klaus and Daredevil in an upcoming issue of The Punisher. Or when we get uh, when we guest star that Crimson Guardian of Hell's Kitchen. Now, this is issue two. We don't see the team up until issue 10 
And Klaus Janssen is not on that issue. Right. Yeah, I guess he had planned on being on the book for a long term, but he only, what's his last issue? Uh, issue five? Number six. Number six? Or five, five. Yeah, because yeah. six it goes in David Ross. Yeah, they obviously had the intention to keep him around for a while, and I'm not sure why he left. I, I honestly, yeah. I can't remember if Mike told me in that interview or not. I'll have to listen to that again. But you wonder if that uh, the Daredevil crossover was going to be happening a little bit sooner, because they wouldn't have teased that out with eight issues to go. You know, it's interesting because the Daredevil crossover is only about eight issues into and Nocenti's run. So there was a, a changing of the guard for Daredevil at this time. And I wonder if that pushed um, the crossover back. Cause you're not going to start your run on the book with a, with a two part crossover that happened that started in another book. Yeah, true. That's a good point. Okay. Issue number three, the devil came from Kansas. I did not like this issue. <laughs> so, yeah, Frank Frank buys a house or tries to buy a house in order to escape his war on crime. In Missouri. He's in Missouri. Yeah, he just wants to escape it all. He wants to leave this all behind, which I think is weird that he's like, I've done all I need to do. Um, I'm going to settle down and have a normal life. But then he gets dragged right <laughs> back into it. because It's a normal the... life for Frank Castle. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, he gets dragged right back into it. Uh, there's a bank robbery that leads to a white nationalist cult. And uh, Frank has to go in there and kind of take everybody out, as he usually does. Um, there were a few things that I did really like about this issue. Like, there's the the scene where there's a, a sniper in a tree that's watching Punisher in his van. And, like, he's going to take him out when he comes out of the van. So he finds a way to sneak around and use a little blow dart to bring him out of the tree. Yeah, and we we the blow dart we see again and again. Yeah. So it's not the last time that Frank uses a blow dart. So. Yeah. So the whole white nationalist cult thing. It's like this guy wants to get rid of it. It rings very true to kind of politics today as well. It does. Um, the 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 guy wants to wants America to be. Uh, white and Christian, and everybody else needs to get the heck out of here. And so Frank infiltrates his, his organization and kind of takes them down. And the guy, his name is the Colonel. He kind of gives this rant at the end, um, and then and then the Punisher <laughs> leads into a, a trail of of gasoline and sets him on fire. And I think the whole <laughs> issue is just written so they can make a joke about Kentucky Fried Chicken at the very <laughs> end, know, right? <laughs> Well, what's what also what struck me is that this colonel guy is a white national, and for us older guys, he looks exactly like the Iron Sheik. You know, I mean, he just does not look like a white national. You know, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> oh, yeah, it. Yeah, this was um, not the strongest issue in the book. That's for sure. No, no, yeah. it's kind of a uh, a plot they probably had lying around, and like, all right, let's just fill it in here, kind of thing. I do, however, so, really like Klaus Jensen's art in this one. I especially like on uh, the splash. It's not really a splash page. It's the title page where the, the bottom half is Punisher, you know, with his Uzi, um, setting yes. off, you know, firing it uh, and just spraying his bullets everywhere. I love the way that Jensen uh, portrays the bullets and the, just the motion with the different little circles. Yeah, you can almost hear it, you know, yeah. the way it comes yeah. out. So, 
No, the art is fantastic. I just I just thought it was kind of a silly story that Frank finds himself in the middle of Kansas or Missouri or wherever he is uh, to buy real estate. And you wonder if, you know, I, I thought about this when I was when I was doing my notes uh, last night, just going over some stuff. You, you wonder what would have happened to Frank if there was no bank robbery, you know, <laughs> <It's> like, and, <laughs> yeah, right. and if there was no white nationalists, you know, I mean, does Frank doesn't go. Here's the thing. Frank either goes looking for trouble or trouble finds him. And here we have a story where, where trouble finds him. Yeah. And you wonder if for once in his life, trouble doesn't find it. And but no, that's not how he rolls. So <laughs> even in the middle of Kansas, you know, white supremacists, there you go. They're establishing a formula in in this issue um, where you get the just the unstoppable punisher where he just keeps on coming no matter what happens, because in this issue, yeah. he he gets shot um, and like a grenade explodes pretty much in his face. And yeah. and he just keeps on coming. He just he just. He's this unstoppable force, and you see that in the Netflix shows as well, and and that's just kind of how he is. But we've seen this now a few times in this one book, yep. Where it's the one man army kind of uh, formula, and and I I do like the one man army where he's here all alone. Even in the previous issue, he had you know somewhat support from Hoyle. He's got his other Vietnam buddy in the you know five issue series. He's got the trust. He's got backup for weapons. Here he's all out by himself. There's nothing yeah. here for him. And that that kind of reminds me of the beginning of The Punisher uh, of season two, where he's mm-hmm. in some backwater suburban rural town at, at a bar again. He's in Michigan. <laughs> oh, he's in, oh, yeah, that's right. He, he's in he's Michigan. Supposed to, I looked it up because I, I frame by frame. It looks like he's in Escanaba, Michigan, right, from the <laughs> yeah. police cars and everything. So Escanaba is in the UP, much closer to Green Bay, Wisconsin than the Mackinac Bridge, right? Right. So, and but then at you know I'll just real interject. He takes uh, the girl and drives down to Ohio in in one night, and I mapped it out where he would be in Ohio based on um, clues that we get. It would have been a ten and a half hour drive from Escanaba into the middle of Ohio <laughs> while crossing over the the uh, while crossing over the Mackinac Bridge where there is. Uh, armed guards uh, on patrol at all times looking for it's almost like crossing a, uh, the Canadian border or the Mexican border really but it's a lot it's a lot friendlier they've got agents there in case you know somebody decides to commit suicide off the bridge or something like that they've got really oh yeah they've got it's a toll booth too so they've got tolls there so <laughs> how Frank got over that toll booth with his face all busted up like that with a bullet in him you know who knows but he must he got have, over uh, the bridge he must have so. taken the long way around he took yeah, yeah, he went through <laughs> Chicago. Yeah, right. Oh boy. But you know, that's the one man army right there. He just doesn't it stop. Is. He doesn't stop yeah. for pee breaks or anything. <laughs> but exactly. I was just thinking though that, that the the opening scene or the opening episode of season two of The Punisher reminds me a lot of of this where he's like he's trying to settle down, he's trying to escape it all, but then trouble finds him. Yeah. And like if that girl hadn't walked into the bar, where would Frank be now? He'd be with that woman and his son and starting a new life. Um, but then he just has, does his one man army thing in the, in the bathroom of that bar. Yeah. Who, by the way, that son in the first episode is wearing a Peter Morazic, uh, Red Wing Jersey, who is the backup goalie on the Red Wings. So why anybody <laughs> be wearing a backup goalie shirt? I'd be, you know, a sweater. I have no idea. 
Well, if anyone would know, it's you. That is deep. That is deep information there for the, the <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's move on here to issue number four, the Rev. You want to take this one? Yeah. So the Rev. So here we meet Microchip, and we he was mentioned in the uh, the previous issue. Right. I was going to mention that. Battle van gets blown up. Um, but here we we meet Microchip. Whose real name is? Uh, it is not Linus Lieberman that we know. It is Lowell Bartholomew Ori, uh, huh. which is I don't know when the changeover was made to Linus Lieberman. Um, I haven't looked up Microsoft's or Microsoft Microchips. Uh, <laughs> should be Microsoft, right? Micro Microchips um, uh, bio on uh, Wikipedia or anything like that. So I, I'm not really sure when the name change happened, but uh, he is. Uh, Maybe it's just an alias. I'm going with that. So he meets up with Microchip. He, you get to see uh, where Microchip is, for lack of a better term, his bat cave, right? It's got everything yeah. in here. It's even got a plane in here. Um, you know, this kind of warehouse that he's got with cars and guns and uh, computer equipment. And he also has a son, Microchip Jr. It's pretty much what they call him. Just call him Jr., who is about who's, uh, 22 years old. And uh, a whiz kid himself went to Caltech, and uh, he'll play into prominently into this uh, stories uh, coming up. So just just before you go on, I want to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, no, go ahead. I'm going to insert at this point a little clip of Mike Barron talking about the creation of microchip. Well, you know, at that just it just popped up in front of me. That was unavoidable. I said, one guy can't do this without tech support. He can't do it all. It's just too much. He's got to have someone who can gather data for him so that the Punisher doesn't sit at a computer all day. And, of course, this is a long time ago before computers are as, as quick and, and, and ubiquitous as they are today. Right. So I said, well, he's, he's got to have some tech support. And, and so that's how Microchip was born. Yeah, I think in one of the early issues, Punisher says something along the lines of, I'm just terrible with computers or something like that. So Yeah. But it, it also provides uh, someone for Punisher to talk to. Yeah, yeah, that's important, too. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, you can't have the guy walking around all the time talking to himself. Uh, so you get a dialogue, and you can get a lot more, not only information across the viewer, but you can characterize. You can show their personalities through their interactions. So uh, Frank gets wind of a cult. Uh, he goes to meet his arm supplier because he doesn't get all his arms from, micro from a microchip. Uh, and when he's doing that, there's a... Uh, a shooting takes place and his uh, contact gets killed, but leaves a card about this uh, church of the saved who his informant or his dealer was going to investigate. He was going to give it to Frank to investigate and everything. Anyway, comes to find out that it is being this church of the saved is a cult. It's being led by a guy named Reverend Sammy Smith and Punisher says, Oh, this is you know perfect. I'm going to infiltrate, you know, what's going on here. And then a uh, couple of fights, of course, happens. Frank is actually saved, almost resurrected in a way, uh, after being shot um, by this Reverend Smith. Uh, so much so he can't really understand what is going on or how he was saved or why he was saved. Uh, what, are, what are these crazy powers that this guy has? So Frank, in some way, is becoming brainwashed uh, himself. You know, can he be... Can 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 Frank be saved himself uh, from his evil ways and maybe, you know, have a semi-normal life? And it kind of comes back to him over the over the course of these two issues in four and five. 
he kind of realizes this, you know, even though he knows that uh, the Reverend Sammy Smith is a bad guy, uh, can there be some good that comes out of this for himself? So Sammy wants to bring Frank down to, uh, I I think it's Guyana, right? Or somewhere like that. Yeah. To go down and, and help him establish his savior army. And along the way, I should back up. And one of one of the people that when Frank was investigating this, he comes by and a guy who finds out that his wife has been basically kidnapped uh, into this cult. And Frank, you know, finds out from her that uh, that she is there and go ahead and go figure that Frank sleeps with her eventually, uh, which was kind of strange. That kind of kind of came out of nowhere when I was reading this. I'm like, man, just. Frank didn't really waste any time or he's got no sympathy for this guy when he said he was going to help him. He just kind of was like, what the hell, you know, and he, and he does. So I thought that was kind of a, kind of interesting that that kind of takes place, but it happens. So we kind of leave this uh, issue for with uh, Frank getting on the boat. Uh, Sammy, of course, is killing a few people, but Frank is going to go along with it and uh, see what is going down on the island so we can infiltrate it even more and stop this uh, from really taking off. That is pretty much uh, issue four. Yeah. So so there are definitely shades of this story in Punisher season two. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're, they're just the whole being a, a, a messenger from God kind of a complex and using that to manipulate and lord over people, uh, which I guess is a, a definitely a portrayal of um well of cult of a cult and yeah. but then also i think that's I, just the church in general um <laughs> it seems to be a stereotype with uh with these type of characters and using the, the power and influence to uh to bring harm to people yeah uh, and that's what we see in the punisher series as well punisher is looking for a, um, a videotape um, a VHS tape in uh, this issue, in the in the series, it's these photographs. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of parallels there. I found it odd that this issue took place exactly after the previous issue, uh, which also deals with issues of, I, I guess, just racism, because yeah. the the Reverend here also want doesn't want anything to do with. Um, immigrants and you know that kind of thing as well. Like they, he, at one point he says that they're taking all the jobs and um, yeah, they just happened. Uh, he could have spaced out these themes a little bit more. But if issue three really was sort of a fill-in issue, like you suspect it is, then yeah, I guess it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, what's what's interesting here, and we kind of can go into issue five where we meet uh, Sammy's sister who kind of also has these healing powers as well. And I was, I was doing some uh, research on this character, Curtis, see if he's really appeared anywhere else. And I couldn't find it, but the speculation on one of the forums going back, I think I found it in 2012 forum. Uh, the speculation was that Sammy was a mutant and that's how he's got these crazy healing powers of his. The powers are so vaguely defined and i i even question if he actually has healing powers okay interesting because he frank wakes up and he's he feels better but he's still not completely healed but maybe he just had a good doctor that sewed him patched him up well yeah and sammy says that he has powers 
but we don't actually see them actively in use at all in either of these two issues. Yeah. So I wonder if it's just a play of some sort. Well, but but Frank does feel something, though. He thinks something has happened to him. Yes, but feeling something. Yeah. He could just be like, that's that's the power that this person has had on all of the people in this cult is is being so charismatic that he can get inside their heads. Yeah. So is yeah. he doing that to Frank as well? Another thing is the way that this series, this two-parter ends when Frank is uh, finds out that the Reverend is going to have all of his followers, and I, it doesn't say the exact number, but there are scores of them, and they're all going to drink cyanide rather than face infiltration by the United States government who yeah. are coming. Uh, this is almost like a Jonestown Massacre thing. It's really, you know, the Netflix uh, series was just on... Uh, you know, a few months ago, the, the movie that kind of recapped that. Mm-hmm. Um, but a very eerie, you know, so a lot of this is really dark stuff. You know, we've got yeah. we've got racism. We've got uh, really heavy drug use. And now we've got mass suicide and and, and, uh, and going back to the miniseries, uh, a child dying. So this is this is not your typical. And I'll say it again. It's not your typical Marvel comic. Uh, so if I was kind of reading this as a parent back then. Uh, there's no way my mom or dad were going to let me read this stuff. <laughs> you know, this is this is heavy duty. So I did ask Mike Barron about the the violence level in this, and you know his thoughts on on uh, how the comic code is working in these days. And so I'll play mm-hmm. a clip of that here as well. Well, I think the comic code was was outmoded many years ago, and most people recognize that doing away with the code is is not a license to present. Uh, gore and graphic sex scenes it was a license to do things in a more realistic manner uh and today of course anything goes anything goes yeah. I, I don't know if you're an eric larson fan but if you read savage dragon you know what i mean oh yes <laughs> absolutely but was there any pushback uh in terms of the content that you were putting in there no i wasn't aware of it okay i wasn't trying to be brutal i was trying to be realistic right but i i just mean um it wasn't the same sort of fantasy violence that you see no, in Spider-Man. No, it wasn't. And, yeah. that, and that was because of my approach that this was a crime story. So we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit with all this, the talk of cyanide and stuff. But um, So let's just quickly cover issue number five. Uh, this one is Frank is now fully in the Reverend's uh, camp. In, in the, they've gone to Guiana and... Yeah, like like you've already mentioned, they the, the he finds out that the whole plan is that he's going to kill his entire cult uh, with cyanide. I don't think that there's I, we've covered pretty much everything that I wanted to talk about about this issue when we talked about the last one. I just want to mention that I love the colors at the very beginning of this issue here. Um, yeah, me too. That yeah. that rainbow mixed with the green and the blue water, like the red sky, and. Uh, there's that old saying, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning, red sky at night, sailors delight to kind of, it's how sailors determine how the weather's going to be. Mm-hmm. And so we have red sky in the morning here, which I I like to think is a, is a deliberate um, foreshadow that this day is not going to go well. Yeah, for sure. Totally agree. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Um, but I also like the fact that this is that we see a rainbow. Now, famously, rainbows are, if there's the biblical story of Noah, where God destroys all the people on earth uh, because they're, they're 
because they're terrible. And only saves Noah and his family, and he has to build this ark and gets the two of all the animals. And at the end of it, when the the the, the flood waters recede and uh, everyone's able to step on onto land again, God shows this rainbow in the sky, and he says that this is his promise that he's not going to destroy the world by flood anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that they put a rainbow at the beginning here because the reverend is go- about to kill everybody, and it's like it's this this uh, this sort of twisted view of how, how the reverend feels like he's God and is going to control this whole situation. Um, I don't know if that's a deliberate reference or not, but I, that's how I that's what I got from it at least. That is so. That's very poignant. Oh my god, I did not cover that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Man. so very interesting. Um, this is also the last issue for Klaus Janssen, and we talked about this before that you know he was probably going to stay on for issue number till issue number ten at least, but uh, something happened. I don't know if it's because he could keep up with schedules, but I think there was some scheduling delays because if you look at the mm-hmm. months that these books were released, the cover dates, it's inconsistent. Issue one is July, issue two is August, but then issue three is October, issue four is November, and then issue five is January. So there are a couple of months that they missed, and I think that he Mm -hmm. just couldn't keep up uh, with his own schedule. Well, you know, Chris, we are at the we are pretty much uh, just under the two hour mark here, and we've got a long way to go still in this episode. So I think we're going to have to cut this in half and do one episode this week, one episode next week. That sounds good to me, yeah. But I thank you for joining me for this one, and uh, we will take a look at the post-Klaus Janssen issues, um, Punisher number 6 to 10, plus the graphic novel Assassin's Guild, uh, next week. 